Welcome to The Fit Chap, a podcast devoted to the fitness and well-being of prospective chaplains entering into the United States Army. My name is Chaplain Jason Phipps, and it is an honor to have you on listening today. And I just want to talk very briefly before we introduce our guest this month about what's going on with our class right now. So just to give our listeners uh, some perspective on your time here, we just uh, did our first boot run last week. I'm sorry, we did it earlier this week. And it was uh, just a great opportunity to kind of test the mettle of our students. So we did a boot run for about a mile and a half, two miles. It was in the middle of the day. The students had actually just come out of the gas chamber. So they weren't necessarily expecting this, which was the intent behind that. And it was definitely an opportunity to see where students were at mentally, physically, just emotionally. We had a few fallouts. We kind of had to stop a couple of times, but eventually we got to our final destination. And when we, when we got there, which was the, the courtyard in front of the schoolhouse, we did flutter kicks. And then we did some hand release push-ups and we did some air squats. And that was really meant, again, to test the metal of the students and to introduce them to the Army. All right. Hey, so this month we have the great privilege of having one of our uh, local battalion commanders here uh, on Fort Jackson. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Tony Messenger is the battalion commander of 1st of the 13th Infantry Regiment, and that is one of five battalions here within the 193rd Infantry Brigade. And so he has the great responsibility of training up the future of the Army in many ways. And so, sir, thank you so much for being here with us today. It's uh, great to have you here. And I'm looking forward to hearing your perspective on how a first-term chaplain in particular should engage with his or her commander. Obviously, we'll, we'll get into that here in a little bit. But before we do so, sir, would you just mind kind of giving us a little bit of your backstory and how you came into the Army? Sure. So uh, first, I'm really pleased to be here. Thanks for the invitation to, to talk and share kind of my story and what I think. Maybe it's right, maybe it's wrong. I guess we'll find out. Yeah, so I actually enlisted in 1998 as a private at the basic training in Fort Sill, Oklahoma. And then I did AIT at Fort Huachuca, Arizona. Jumped school uh, in September of 98, and then right into the 82nd Airborne Division, uh, serving in what used to be the 313th MI. And that was my first term. I served about four years there, did a short stint in Korea as a staff sergeant, and then I uh, got picked up for green to gold. Went to West Virginia, which is where I met my wife. We're still married today. Uh, four kids deep. Went to, I got commissioned as an infantry officer in 2005. Went off to Benning. Did an extended tour in Ranger School. I really liked it. So I did six months. <laughs> I don't recommend it to anybody, but do go. It's a great school. Absolutely. And then we got assigned to 4th Brigade 2ID uh, in 2006. I uh, deployed for the surge in Iraq a little early. I started out as an, uh, an AT platoon leader. And uh, right before we deployed, got bumped down to my rifle platoon. So that was, that was fun. I met them and we trained in Baghdad as we went through the Baghdad security plan off to Bakuba. I got wounded there, got shipped back, went back after went back to deployment, got picked up for the Special Forces Qualification course, went off to the requisite schooling that's associated with that, served in fifth group for about seven years. I did three and a half, almost four years as a captain there, went off to major school at uh, Kansas, came back, uh, did three years, and I was a global war on terrorism 
planner. Which really meant I got to go do whatever the boss told me to do in uh, the CENTCOM AOR, which so was a pretty cool time. Commanded a company there, Charlie Company, first battalion, and I deployed with them to Syria at a really, really interesting time in 2018. And I went to SWIC for two years, commanded the 18 Alpha Course. My last uh, operational assignment before here was SOC Cent, which is pretty awesome. Special Operations Command Central. Uh, and I'm blessed to be the big battalion commander for, for the first battalion, 13th Infantry, and that's kind of got here. Nice. That's good stuff. Well, sir, I, I imagine just the scope of experiences that you've had in leadership that you have run into a number of different types of chaplains over the course of your career. And of course, that's, that's what we want to talk about today. But just to give you some context of how we try and prepare chaplains, most of the students that are coming here who have already completed their master's degree, in some cases they have a PhD or a DMIN, or they're in the process of getting their master's degree. But a lot of those students, the vast majority of them, have never been in the Army. So when we teach them things like basic warrior tasks and battle drills, for example, or, or military decision-making process, or the military problem-solving process, running staff estimates, or even writing a, a memo, that's foreign territory for a lot of them. It's a long-term shaping operation over the course of about 13 weeks where we are trying to form them, one, into soldiers, but into officers as well who can function on a team as special staff and are able to be force multipliers, but able to to really provide a great ministry of presence to meet the intent of the commander as well as uphold the soldier's right to religious freedom. From your perspective, sir, as you look back, maybe when you were in a position of leadership, but perhaps just even when you're listed, if you remember engaging with a chaplain, what were your first impressions of that individual? And feel free to be frank and honest. Well, Jason, you will get nothing but candid from me. Great, <laughs> sir. That's that's what I wanted to hear. I that's what in, I wanted to hear. I believe in a culture of candor, so I'm not going to hold back, but okay. I will be professional. Okay. Uh, as far back as I can remember, uh, a couple attributes, right? So I grew up in the airborne community. And so the things that you look for in the airborne community is, right, the first one, and it's the Army thing, right, and you hit it when you opened up, is fitness. You may not need to be number one, but you certainly can't be out of the formation. Right. All right, so that's, that's first and foremost, and that's for, for any leader, any soldier, really, in the Army. That, that applies to chaplains uh, just as well. Right? Being a chaplain doesn't give you a buy on being uh, fit. Right? That's an officer thing as well. So I expect the same of uh, my company commanders, uh, my lieutenants, as I do with my chaplain in those regards. And as far as interacting with when I was enlisted, that's what I looked for. Because I knew that I had to go and I had to run and sweat. Well, were those folks around me doing the same thing and keeping up? I like to use the term muddy boots chaplain. And I remember that when I looked at around my force, when I met my chaplain, I think I was in E4 when I, when I really remember it the first time. It was on a road march. And there he was, sucking, just like me, but he had an upbeat attitude about it. Yeah. And that helped. Absolutely. That helped. Uh, because he was fit enough to keep up, but he was where the people were. Yeah. He didn't actually have to be out there. He was out there because he was where the people were, which probably needed to be, but he built rapport with all of us that were out there doing that event. It made it easier for me to go talk to him when I needed to, as a younger enlisted man. As I move forward in time, there's two distinct points that really stick out to me. When I was a lieutenant, I was wounded in Iraq and I was blown up. I stepped on an IED. And I remember the chaplain being there when I was getting on the bird. Um, I could still see his face. I won't, I won't say who he was. Great chaplain. 
he did a really good job calming me down. My biggest concern at the time, I still remember it very cleanly, was that my wife would find out what happened by herself. Mm. Um, that was my only asker. Fortunately, she was not by herself when she found out. And I attribute that to him, whether it was true or not, I don't know. But he looked me in the eye and said, we'll make it happen. That right there, right? I would go to him still today, just based on our interaction right then and there. And fast forward now, and I'm a battalion commander. So a couple things. You talked a little bit about staff, right? I expect the chaplain to be a staff officer. Right? You're a captain. Most of them are captains and they come to the battalions. So we need you to perform as such. There'll be things that you have to do as a part of the team that require staff work. They're going to require memos. They're going to require you to go hunt things down. And they may not always be what you think a UMT should be doing. Right. Um, before I got my brand new chap, my previous chap, as an example, I said, hey, I want to I do this Hogan thing. It's like, Hogan? I was like, yeah, it's kind of a personality assessment, right? You can take it. It gives you good feedback. I need you to hunt that down because I think that kind of marries in with getting to know folks. Right. Not something I think he expected me to task him with. To his credit, he did it. And all of our leadership got a Hogan. And now you get a, you get a really fantastic read. But that's a staff function. Different than what I asked him to do like, like daily. Like, right. hey, I need you to go out and be a Muddy Boots chaplain. In the BCT environment, you got two populations. You have your cadre, and I run the cadre very hard. Right? That's just the nature of what we do here. Then you also have the trainee population, right, who have never been in the Army. Right? They're still civilians really until about week eight, um, and they are experiencing a wide spectrum of emotion. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we get all kinds. And to do that kind of interaction, I need him to be where the people are. We have five companies that pick up, so he does a lot of moving around. Okay. Uh, and then on top of that, because I'm needy, as a battalion commander, right? And I also have a tendency to overwork myself. I ask him to come check on me as well uh, and be the advisor about all things religious, of course, but also how's our morale? Is there anything that I need to be made aware of that I can push resources to within the scope? So I ask a lot and then I expect a lot from my chaplain. But to this day, I haven't had a bad chaplain. That's encouraging to hear, sir. I've never really asked this question before. I always look at something like MDMP as, hey, there's some shared suffering right there. The S3 is not going to, or the AS3 is not going to pull the chaplain and say, hey, you need to be here because every other staff section is. But what does that say about the chaplain who is willing to participate in that process or at least be present in that process and, and glean some information and really learn more about the mission set of that organization by going through that? I think it speaks volumes, right? There's twofold there, right? Everybody in the organization has to be bought into the mission. We're all focused on getting the mission accomplished, whatever that may be, right? For, for BCT, it's producing the next generation of American soldiers, right? So when we go through planning processes, we need all hands on deck. And we're not, we're not like a, a force comm unit. Like I don't have a full staff. I don't have an S2. <laughs> There's not all that stuff. So I need yeah. everybody I can get. Yeah. And I think the other point to that is that it is shared suffering, right? MDMP can be very tedious. It's time consuming. Absolutely. If you get it wrong, right, you're going to redo it, right? Yeah. So sharing and <laughs> sharing in that is another way to put it. Sharing that shared suffering, right, builds rapport with the entire staff. Some people call it invasive leadership, right? So for a leader to be there, it's important. But I think there's a lot of parallels with that for chaplains because they need to build rapport to get to know their folks in order to best advise the commander, but also just to take care of those people inside that organization. Yeah. You can't do that if you haven't had a shared experience, right? whether that's that, that chaplain that I talked about when I was in the 82nd on the road march, right? He was sharing that experience, right? He very likely was at 
MDMP with the battalion staff too. I wouldn't know I was 84 at the time. Right. But I do remember uh, seeing our chaplain around when I was a lieutenant and a captain. I think it's critical. You got to be there. You got to buy into it. And then you got to do it. Right. Because uh, if you don't, you won't be effective. Right. In, in my opinion. No, agreed. Have you, sir, in your experience, seen those chaplains who they're happy to be there, but just not present all the time or maybe they're only present when they want to be because it's a certain event that's taking place from your perspective how has that shaped the reputation of, of that particular chaplain yeah of course or or sometimes they just feel uncomfortable in the, the staff function or functioning with the staff because they don't feel like it's their job right um, but it's every officer's job and there's always a place you can get in and help if you're if you're the person that sits on the on the back bench when things need done, Regardless of it's your job or not, you'd say it, it sullies, but it definitely doesn't help. Right. So if you're getting there and getting after it and being helpful wherever help is needed, people will automatically think better of you. Oh, and oh, by the way, they'll trust you. Yeah. So they're going to come to you. Right. Those folks that don't see you or they only see you when there's crisis. Well, trust doesn't get built during crisis, right? It gets built before that. Absolutely. So if you're just there when crisis mode happens, well, thanks, but you're too late. Or whenever you think it's your job. But it's a little late for that now. Yeah. We need a little more and, and help me help you. I'd be around. <laughs> right. We'll get along just fine. Right. Well, sir, let's let's kind of back up the train a little bit for that first term chaplain who shows up day one. Now, ideally, before day one, maybe he's reached out to you, sent you a, a bio, or he sent you like his soldier talent profile since AIM will no longer let us access our ORBs anymore. Thank you. Uh, army. So Ipse. Ipse, yes. So ideally that chaplain has sent those documents ahead before they even meet you in person. But what are some suggestions that you can give to that first term chaplain who shows up like day zero to the command suite? Hey, maybe the XO is there, maybe the SAR major is there, but the commander's there as well. And that chaplain steps in, maybe a little trepidatious, mm-hmm. maybe a little nervous. What would you recommend to that, that individual? Be confident. Right? Number one, just be confident in who yeah. you are and, and what you bring to the table. Because you do bring a lot of things to the table. But also be humble in those things that you don't. And go ahead and be open with your commander. Like, hey, sir, here's what I, I know I'm going to crush this thing on your behalf as long as that meets your intent. I know that I'm weak at this thing. Right? Suck in what the intent is. Suck in what the organization is. Get a good feel for where that organization is going and what what's driving it. Ideally... You will have things that you ask the chaplain to look out for. I don't know if I did such a good job. My new one, giving him those things yet, but I do have them. Okay. <laughs> so we'll work through that. Right. Um, but you should ask, okay, so what are the things that I you need me to look out for as a chaplain? Yes. What do you need me to do as a staff officer? Like, how can I contribute to this team that I am now a part of? And I believe your boss will give you those things. We talk about like the commander's intent. And, that, and that's really what I'm getting at, sir. And we also talk, and maybe you're familiar with this term, the CMRP, the Commander's Master Religious Program, which in many cases is built by the chaplain, but it, it's approved by the commander. That's something that we try and teach students, like, hey, you work for the commander. You're there to advise and provide, to, to sum up what they do, but you're, you do it under the auspices of what the commander expects of you as the chaplain, because in many ways that commander has a better understanding of the pulse of that organization than you do coming in. That is, uh, in many ways, it's a nuanced conversation because they may have a commander who's like, hey, chaplain, come into my office. This is what I want you to do. This is, here's like, 
here's my campaign plan or whatever. Here's my lines of effort for you as a chaplain. Sometimes you have a chaplain who is working in a vacuum because that commander really doesn't care that there's a chaplain there or not. Uh, I, I don't know if you've seen that amongst your peers, but from your perspective, because I'm getting the impression that when a chaplain comes in, like you have, you have that, that, that commander's intent for that chaplain, you have a, a plan. This is, these are the, this is what I want you to hit with the, with this organization. What would you say to a chaplain perhaps who does not have that type of commander that just walks in and it's like, all right, chaplain, glad you're here. Go, go do your thing. Go do chaplain things. Yeah. Yeah. It would be tough. So I generally always have a task for somebody I would offer. Um, if the sergeant major is amicable to it, engage the sergeant major, mm. engage the executive officer in the S3. Yeah. Because they are going to have influence within that organization and them being aware of what your capabilities are and what you bring to the table will help influence that commander. Okay. And then, like we talked about before, be a good teammate. Right? When it comes time to do MDMP, and that's if that's the thing your commander is passionate about, this is his job and this is what needs to get done, is his campaign plan. If you are present in there and you are value added, he, he can't ignore what you do. That should expand what you're able to do. Right. But find good teammates right, on the staff, and they should be able to help massage, for lack of better words, commander, and really you helping him. That makes sense. Yeah. But it's going to be tough. I'm not going to say it's going to be easy. It is. To feel your way through it. And it may be company commanders, right? Yeah. Because company commanders have the open door where they can just come in and say, hey, this is what I need. And they may be your end to get the same level of influence and goodness at that lower level. If the battalion commander is not either willing or, or just doesn't care, your companies may very well care a lot about their soldiers and their people. So you have to kind of feel that through. But I would recommend the top three, right? the, the XO, the CSM, the S3. You don't get of that. I would go down to the next level. I would go to the company commanders, maybe the first sergeants. Yes. There's somebody there. You'll probably find there's an inherent, I'm going to use an SF term, underground that, that is looking for what chaplains offer. And it needs it right? because it's a, it's a critical component to a high functioning organization. Right. So it's a, it's more of a long game perhaps in that type of situation for the chaplain. But I think you really touched upon it, sir, when you said building trust amongst your peers and amongst those company commanders. I'm always a big fan of reaching out and, and developing solid relationships with first sergeants. Just to tell a quick story about a commander who I had really was not trying to, but was hoping I would hit all the wickets to, to get his approval right before I ended up leaving. So interesting guy came in. I was 82nd, been a chaplain there for about a year. We had a new commander come in and we also had a sergeant major come in as well, who was much more relational than the commander was with the chaplain. He was, he had come from regiment. So he was uh, coming from that world, very, very high speed, been in Mogadishu many, many years ago. And I had, was feeling called to go to ranger school, went to ranger school, came back. And prior to this whole event taking place, the commander really didn't have a lot of faith in, in chaplains. I don't know if it was just bad experiences or just a lack of spirituality in his own life. He wasn't mean and indifferent, but he was just kind of apathetic to our presence there. The Sergeant Major used this as an opportunity to exploit all the infantry, the young infantry officers who had not gone through the school yet. They're like, hey, this 40-year-old man just went through who's not an 11 alpha. What's your excuse? Mm -hmm. And so I was thinking, oh, okay, well, maybe the commander's thinking the same thing. And I asked him probably about a week or two before I, I PCS'd, hey, sir, has this, me f finishing this school, changed your perspective 
on the chaplain corps, not on me as an individual, but on the chaplain corps at all. And he looked at me deadpan. No, not at all. And I was just in my mind, I was blown away by that. But my point in sharing that story is that you could do everything that you think that that command team wants that is uh, indicative of that unit culture, and you still may not please your commander. But I make that point to say that if you look at this from a theological perspective, we're not here, we don't exist on this earth to please man. But the reality is, is that we work for, for men and women who are leaders in our lives and are appointed by God to shape us and to develop us as, as chaplains and as, as staff officers and really as soldiers. I'd like to believe, sir, that when I send a brand new chaplain out of the school, that that battalion commander is going to still shape that individual, still going to be invested in that individual and take them to the next level that we, we didn't take them to uh, in our time together. Do you see a, a degree of responsibility that a battalion commander or a command team has in pouring into that chapel when they arrive? No, absolutely. You started out with their special staff. Right? So I'm responsible for that. I'm responsible for the development of all the officers inside of my organization, whether they're chaplains, signal officers, um, engineer officers. And in BCT, I've got them all. Okay. We have all flavors, right? Yeah. I'm a special forces officer by trade. I command an infantry battalion and I have chemical officers. I've got... 42 alphas, so I have an MP, but it doesn't negate my responsibility as a, a leader in the U.S. Army to develop them. And the same goes for the chaplain. Why would you treat that chaplain any different for their development? And whether that's development in Army systems and processes, or, hey, this is the need that I need you to fill you know, for religious uh, needs or morale needs, or, hey, the staff need, all those things happen. But we're we're inherently responsible for that. The approach that I use is through counseling, right? So I'll sit down go through my expectations. Um, then I use what's called a three-timeline tool. So it's your professional timeline. So now I understand, hey, where in the professional world do you want to be? But some people have different goals, and that's fine. Personally, what do you want to accomplish, either while you're in this unit or in the next five or six years? And then family. Where is your family in all of this? What are your family goals? For me and my wife, I go, my wife Amy, and then I go my four kids. Right? Where are they in school? You know, what are they doing in sports or extra extracurriculars? And then you look over. It gives you a, a fairly holistic picture of the developmental needs right, and or desires of that officer. It's the same for the chaplain. It may vary on what we do, but if I don't know, I can't invest in you. But as, as the battalion commander, I absolutely should own the investment in you as a leader because you're going to continue on. If I don't invest in you, then I haven't done that next person a service, I haven't done our organization or our army, a service of, of developing that person along those lines. Right. If you go talk to our commandant, he will say that our primary customer as cadre here is the battalion commander. That first battalion commander that that chaplain goes to, that that is our customer. But successive customers, our, our future battalion commanders, brigade commanders, uh, senior staff that that chaplain is going to interact with. And so Ideally, every person is building upon that. That in addition, obviously, to their PME, um, it's it's those relationships, and and I would say that's true for myself. Like I've I've probably grown and, and matured as as an officer and a chaplain through people more than through schooling. So that's encouraging to hear, and hopefully that's encouraging to you all as well. Last thing I wanted to touch on, sir, before we uh, kind of end the session is. 
chaplains and personality types. That's a mild way of, of me saying, don't be weird. And we talk about this all the time here in chaplain school. We don't have any POI specifically devoted to it, but it's definitely a block of instruction that we thread throughout the course. We encourage chaplains to be themselves, but there, there also comes a point where you have to divest yourself in some ways from some of those habits that prevent you from being an effective chaplain, an effective staff officer. And I'm not necessarily here to hear stories from you, sir, because I'm sure you've got some stories. I think we've all got stories about some some strange cats who have come through the formation. But what would you recommend from your perspective? Because we can talk about it internally all the time as chaplains, but I would love to hear especially from someone who's been in the soft community, what does it look like for a chaplain to just be normal and to be functional amongst the staff team? Yeah, so I think I talked about being a part of the mission and then understanding the culture that you are immersed in. So if you, if you are not holistically bought into the mission and don't feel comfortable in the culture or can't make yourself feel comfortable in the culture, you'll be ineffective. So you have to understand the culture of the unit. In some units have really strong cultures, right? The Ranger Regiment has a very strong culture, right? SF units have very strong cultures, and they're all different. So being weird is like, you will stick out and you will feel it. Because people will look at you like you're weird. Right. Like, especially in those cultures. They'll be like, what is wrong with that dude? The urban culture is the same way. So get to know the, get to know the, the culture of the unit uh, and the accepted norms. And it may not be norms that you are comfortable with given your belief system. But, you know, you signed up to be a chaplain. Yeah. And that means you take care of all folks. So if people see you as a weirdo, for lack of better words, they're not likely to come see you. So you got to figure out what that looks like, right? The CAV has a very distinct culture too. There are certain things you have to do to be considered part of the CAV. You got to wear the hat and the spurs and all that stuff. I never did it, but I know it exists because CAV people tell me. Right. <laughs> yeah. So that's some things you should you should probably work your way towards. I had to say it, but you have to be comfortable talking to folks and be comfortable being uncomfortable. Absolutely. There are some things that are not going to be comfortable for you. I guarantee I've made chaplains uncomfortable, right? I'm not cussing on this podcast because that would be unprofessional, but I do have a tendency to do it and it doesn't matter who's in the room. Sure. Chaplain or not, it's coming out. Yeah. And it's something I continue to work on as an officer and as a human, but it still happens. So if that is something that you have a a hard line against, not necessarily being a weirdo, but if that's generally accepted in your culture, then it's going to be difficult. For I'm not saying you need to cuss, don't get me wrong, <laughs> but maybe you have to just kind of accept that's how it's going right now. And, and, and that's, and so that brings up a good point that, you know, a, a lot of times we'll have chaplains go to the opposite end of the spectrum where they, they will become more soldier and forsake their chaplain identity so that they're, they render themselves ineffective and uh, of no use to that unit at all. I certainly believe that if you take yourself away from those components of the culture that you need to embrace, you're going to fill them with something else, probably something that you're more comfortable with that is not conducive to building relationships, building trust with those individuals. We did prop blast. That was my first exposure to I like, watched it. It. I was like Ooh. yeah, getting, Ooh. getting hazed. And, um, it, plenty it, of other hazing experiences. I just was one. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> sure. And, and that's, that's part of it. I would say for a chaplain is if you're going on active duty, there's probably some kind of initiation, right? Spur ride, prop blast. I'm sure 101st does something uh, that you, you just got to do it. Like, Hunger just dies. do it. 
Yeah, exactly. Just do it. Have fun with it. You know, it's not the end of the world. It will endear you towards those people who are there with you as well as the, the staff who are inflicting that pain upon you. And uh, you'll, you'll go and, and do great things and you can build upon those experiences and continue to establish trust. So I think that's a great point. What you said, build trust, do the experiences and don't get lost because you're right. I mean, there's a specific thing that, that I as a commander need from the chaplain. And if you go too far the other way, you're not going to meet it. And that's, I think that's what I mean by being, being, unco- being comfortable with being uncomfortable. There are certain things that you absolutely shouldn't do because of what I require of you as a chaplain. But you have to figure out that, that in-between. I think a Mungadai or, or a prop blast is a great example of an in-between. And, and that's, pretty, that's pretty tame, I mean, compared to some of the things that you'll hear just <laughs> in the team rooms. Yes. You know, prop blast compared to, like, me walking into a, a cage and, and hearing what some of these E4s and E5s are, are saying to each other. I mean, it's, it's shocking. But, you know, you, you keep a straight face. I think one of the, the key components of being a good chaplain is being able to develop a poker face and you will survive longer if you can do that and you'll be more effective because the moment you show some sort of reactionary emotion on your face, you're drawing unneeded attention to yourself. So just continue to, to pray about whether or not this is something that God is calling you to and do great things when you, when you get in. You'll have some great ministry opportunities uh, afforded to you. Before we wrap this up, any other closing remarks? We need good, strong chaplains out there that are, that are in that in-between space. The critical thing about that in-between is that you are going to build trust over time inside of that organization with whichever person that is or group that is. And that trust in the long term will increase your influence and your ability to be effective and make changes if changes are needed, right? Yes. And then also advise uh, the battalion commander and those folks that are there. I think a lot of times chaplains underestimate their ability to change a culture in a positive way, but that happens, I think, first through understanding the culture, knowing what's going on, and then making those changes with guidance from your command team. And being in that in-between space does not necessarily mean compromising your theological convictions but it does require a degree of adaptation that uh, will make you more effective as a spiritual leader in that organization if you're willing to embrace those things that are true to the culture. I've always looked at the Army as kind of like a fraternity, and I was never in a fraternity in college, but the experiences that I have had, I would say probably transcend a a fraternity like any day of the week. So if that's the the world you come from, you you will enjoy the army and, and the things that it has to offer you. Well, sir, uh, great to have you on. Thank you so much for being here with us uh, this month. And uh, by all means, please subscribe to this podcast, leave some comments in the comments section, and uh, we will hit you up again next month. Have a great week. Bye-bye.